Our scripture reading tonight will be Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Um, that's also page 812 in your uh, church Bible. Um, so my name's Tim Fialo. I'm a sophomore at Marymount, and I'm a criminal justice major, and I'm also very involved with the on-campus Christian ministry called Crew. The word of the Lord says, <clears throat> Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. When do you see, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not, do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening again, friends. Let me add my warm welcome to those I trust you've already received. My name is James Forsyth. I'm the senior pastor of this church family, and it's great to be worshiping with you. As you can tell, I've had some some shoulder surgery, uh, pitched one too many innings on our World Series run, so I'm just recovering now. I've actually never pitched an inning in my life. Um, Ryan, hands up. Um, actually, it was the first time I've ever, I've ever had a doctor tell me, right? Um, yeah, this is actually quite common in active guys your age, you know? I was like, you shut your face, doctor, right? <laughs> he gave me two options. One was surgery. The other was living a more reasonable life. Um, I quickly opted for surgery. So uh, on the mend and, and doing well. I'm really grateful for this church who have loved us well and brought us meals and all that kind of stuff. So we're grateful, grateful for it. Grateful though now to be with you tonight and, and turning to God's word, Matthew chapter 7, as was just read for us, as we continue in our series, Answer the King, what we've been thinking about together are the questions that Jesus asks us as we work our way through the scriptures. Turns out Jesus has a number of questions for us, questions that aren't designed to like catch us out or embarrass us or shame us, but rather questions that are designed to draw us closer to him. And tonight we come to one that couldn't be more important for us in this day of, of outrage and division. But before we, before we look at it together, let's first bow our heads and pray. Father, we are grateful for this chance we have to be together in your word tonight and for the opportunity we have to, to be reminded of the beautiful truths of the gospel. And our prayer is, as we pray before every sermon, Lord, because we believe that to, to understand your word and to trust in it and for it to make a difference in our lives, we need, we need you to show up and do a work of grace, do a work of your spirit in our hearts. So come and do that, we ask in your son's name. Amen. Matthew chapter 7, judge not. Always reminds me of a great quote from Great Expectations. You read that book? Mrs. Joe was a very clean housekeeper, but had an exquisite art of making her cleanliness more uncomfortable and unacceptable than dirt itself. Cleanliness is next to godliness, Dickens continues, and some people do the same by their religion. 
Some people do the same by their religion. Isn't that good? Many believers have an uncanny knack of living in a way that makes the gospel as appealing as dirt. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. We're called to be this winsome and productive presence in our culture. And yet so often we end up leaving a bad taste in the mouth or casting a shadow over proceedings. And one of the key ways, one of the chief ways in which we do that is addressed in our passage tonight. Couldn't be more relevant for us. Let's dive into it and see three things. First of all, what Jesus tells us to do. Secondly, why he tells us to do it. And then thirdly, how we can actually pursue change, how we can live different lives. What, why, how? Let's see them together. First of all, what is it that Jesus is telling us to do in this text? Well, look at verse 1. We should really ask, what is it that he's telling us not to do? Verse 1, he says, judge not. See, as, as a person and then as a church, we are to be individuals and, and a community that, that's free from this kind of judgmental spirit, that doesn't have a, a condemning attitude, that doesn't wander around with the furrowed brow looking down on the world around. Now, of course, Jesus isn't saying, you know, don't be discerning, don't ever make a judgment, don't be wise. No, of course, we need to distinguish this teaching from the kind of politically, um, you know, overly politically correct culture of outrage that we live in, where like even winsome disagreement might be labeled as judgmental. There are times when we should be wise, times when we should be discerning. Our very text tells us that. If you look at verse 6, where Jesus says, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. Uh, Interesting teaching where Jesus is saying, um, some people are so blinded and set in their ways that it's almost like they behave like animals. And so hardened are their hearts that they won't thank you for sharing truth with them. In fact, if you try and share truth with them, they will confront you. They might even attack you. And Jesus says, don't waste your energy getting involved in arguments like that. There is a time to be wise, a time to be discerning, time to kind of make a wise judgment. What Jesus is forbidding here isn't that we be discerning, but that we have, that we not have a spirit of condemnation, that we not walk around with a judgmental attitude. The word Jesus uses here for judge not is often translated by the word condemn. So when Jesus says, hey, the Son of Man didn't come into the world in order to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Same word that he uses, judge not. Or when Jesus says, remember when we started the series, we looked at his interaction with the woman who'd been caught in adultery, and he said to her, neither do I condemn you, neither do I judge you. Go now, leave your life of sin. So Jesus is calling us as a people to be clear, free from that judgmental spirit, that condemning attitude. Don't walk around looking down on others, demeaning them, condemning them, even if it makes you feel better about yourself. Instead, Jesus would call us always to see other people as he sees them. That's the call of Christ, to have, to have his eyes for the world around. Do we see our neighbors as he sees them? And then do we treat them accordingly? So judge not, Jesus says, and as we think about this passage and and move beyond the mere theory of it and start to try actually apply it to our lives, it's worth asking, Jesus says judge not, but like, are we a judgmental people? Are you you a judgmental person? See, it's interesting, right? Being judgmental is one of those sins that we all reject in theory, but all quite enjoy in practice. 
Reminds me of a, another great work of literature, Pride and Prejudice, where Mr. Darcy says, I have been a selfish being all my life, in practice, though not in principle. The idea that there are some things that we struggle with that, that we, we, we hate to like, we'd all, we'd all hate to be described as a judgmental person. We'd all hate to be described as a selfish person. And yet it turns out we all quite enjoy being judgmental and, and selfish. So do you see, where do you see the judgmental spirit in your own life? Do you, do you see it? Here's a, here's some self-diagnosis. Help us on the way. Five signs you might be a judgmental person. Are you ready? Number one. First sign you might be a judgmental person. You think your way of doing things is the way to do things. You know people like this who turn every preference into a principle? So your way of, like, sometimes it's small, like your way of loading the dishwasher. Right? It's the way of loading the dishwasher. Um, often you see this in parenting. It's not enough that you send your kids to, you know, a public school or a Christian school or a home school. It's that everybody else should make the same decision that you have made. Sometimes we see this kind of thing in politics, where you just can't fat like everybody should vote exactly the same way that you do. And if they don't vote the same way, especially like if another Christian doesn't vote the same way you do, you can't even understand how they're a Christian. Uh, sometimes you see this not <laughs> necessarily in our parenting or our politics, but in our, in our theology, in our Presbyterianism. Um, the problem with every other church is that they're not more like us. Yeah. You know, like McLean Pres, right? I'm Presbyterian. I'm a happy Presbyterian pastor. I believe in Presbyterianism. I'm just not all that angry about it, right? <laughs> and I just don't think that we have the monopoly on truth or that we're the church that's miraculously, you know, we've, we've understood everything. You know, there are things about my theology that are wrong. The problem is, I don't know what they are. <laughs> like, if I knew what they are, I'd think differently. But I'm not claiming to be infallible. The scriptures are, but my interpretation of them isn't. So we just have a little, we want to have a little bit of humility. We don't always assume that our way of doing things is the best and only way of doing things. If you fall into that pattern, you might be a judgmental person. Here's another sign you might be a judgmental person. Uh, you're proud of, DC, you're proud of your critical thinking skills. Is that on your resume? Like the first thing you do in a conversation is start to highlight problems, start to critique the situation. Now, of course, there's a place for like, winsome, helpful, constructive feedback, right? We'll get to that, get to that later. But I'm talking about being the kind of person who really is just, just a negative person. You never celebrate what's gone, gone well. You're just always pointing out what didn't go well. You're unable to celebrate any kind of progress because you're always searching for perfection. People leave conversations with you just sort of feeling flat. Uh, people get an email from you and they sigh before they even open it. Because they know that there's negativity inside. If you're proud of your critical thinking skills, you might be a judgmental person. Third, uh, you have very strong opinions, even on things that you don't really know anything about. Right? Is this you? Um, this is actually, again, a challenge in a town of leaders, having, having strong opinions, even on things we don't really know that much about. Because, um, you know, expertise in one area creates the illusion of competence in, in other areas. Like, if you're an expert in one area, it creates this false impression that you somehow therefore have competencies in other areas. So, for example, I've got a lawyer friend, one of the uh, 80,000 lawyers there, there are in, in D.C. We love you all. Grace changes everything. Okay, welcome. You're welcome here. Um, and he was saying this, been, he, he realized this was a challenge for him because it's his job to be an expert. 
And it's his job to have answers. And it's his job to tell the client that he is, is omnicompetent and that all is going to be well so long as the client stays with him. And then he started to realize how this sort of air of authority was bleeding into other areas of his life. He was starting to speak to his wife like this. He was starting to deal with his kids like this. He'd start to be the one who would like always be the first to recommend which restaurant you go to for lunch. He would like make way overconfident predictions about like stupid things like fantasy football, right? This reality that if you're an expert in one area, it allows you to kind of fall under the false impression that you're competent in a lot of different areas. You know, I was on a three-month sabbatical this summer. One of my favorite things about sabbatical, so good. For three months, nobody cared what I thought. No one asked me about anything. And that was so good for me. That was so good for my soul, Right? Because it, it helped push against this danger where you kind of get this inflated ego of thinking that, that you're competent in areas that you're, you're really not. Because if we're not careful, we end up like Hollywood celebrities. You know when you see Hollywood ce- celebrities making like sweeping pronouncements about like a really complicated geopolitical issue? <laughs> and you think, I'm not sure I care what you think about this, you know? And it's interesting because they're being super judgmental in their pronouncement and then I'm being super judgmental about them, right? See, judgment is just a a messy, messy thing. But here's the point. If you are confident about things you don't really know anything about, you may be a judgmental person. Okay, number four. Here's the fourth thing. Uh, You express your opinion with disproportionate emotion. You know people like this? Are you this person? You know the strength with which you communicate, the strength of emotion with which you communicate should really be commensurate with the seriousness of the matter at hand. Like if you... If, if you care passionately about everything, you end up actually caring about nothing. So, for example, like, do the first world problems get you all bent out of shape? You know? Um, I get it. Christmas music before Thanksgiving? Craziness. But it, like, it really doesn't matter that much, you know? Or, uh, you know, like the first world, pro- you know, your hotel didn't have almond milk, okay? <laughs> and you're all, like, an- angry about this. Or the first church problems, you know, the first church problems, the color of the carpet? Right. Um, the worship leader's tie, right? Ryan, you never wear a tie. I'm, I'm outraged, right? You know, like, is this a thing that we should be getting super upset about? No, these are not things. But if you find yourself expressing really disproportionate emotion in all these things, be careful, beware. Sinclair Ferguson, Scottish pastor, says, sudden and strong outburst, outbursts of emotion can sometimes be signs of a sensitivity that is personal rather than moral or spiritual. Isn't that really good? He's saying if you have, if you're prone to sudden outbursts of emotion, that could be a sign that there's that there's something wrong with you, not that there's something wrong with all the things you're upset about. It might be a sign that you need to grow in in your temperance, in how measured you are, and how in your wisdom and your balance. Do you express disproportionate emotion? You might be a judgmental person. Okay, fifth reason. Um, here's a really simple one. You might be a judgmental person if you rejoice when you hear unpleasant things about people you don't like. You know this one? So like the mean girl in your class gets dumped by her boyfriend and it just sort of makes you happy, you know? Or that colleague, that lazy colleague finally gets their comeuppance and gets yelled at by the boss and you just, you just feel good about that. If you rejoice when others mourn, you might be a judgmental 
person. Okay, there's some signs. You think your way is the way. You're proud of your critical thinking skills. You have strong opinions about things you don't know that much about. You express disproportionate emotion. You rejoice when you hear unpleasant things about other people. If I were to add one more, it would be that you think this list applies only to other people. Right? If you're going through this list, kind of working your way around like, you know, your dorm or your family table. Yep, number one describes them. Number two describes them. Number three describes them. And it hasn't dawned on you yet as to really think about yourself. That You too might be a judgmental person. The reality is we all struggle with this in one way or another. And one of the things I love about the church that, you know, we mentioned like being judgmental is such this sort of cultural taboo. And I love that the church gives us the space to just be honest and say, actually, we all struggle with this. Actually, I... I I struggle with this. Where do you see this in your own life? Jesus is calling us away from this kind of judgmental spirit. What does Jesus say? Don't judge. See people as I see them. Treat them accordingly. Okay, if that's the what, we're not to judge. In the rest of verses 1 and 2, Jesus goes on to tell us why we shouldn't judge. And we, we need to pay attention to his words here because they're, they're kind of surprising and they're actually really sobering. See, we all have this sense that we shouldn't be judgmental people, but Jesus doesn't tell us this just for some, for some general reason. He has a very specific reason why he wants Christians not to judge, and it's a, it's a challenging, sobering reason. You see it there? Why does Jesus tell us not to judge? Well, verse 1, judge not. Why? That you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus is saying, hey, don't judge other people because you yourself are subject to judgment. The Bible speaks of at least two different kinds of judgment. First kind of judgment the Bible speaks of is that eternal judgment, that dividing line between heaven and hell. The Bible teaches and we believe that one day we'll all stand before God and humanity will be separated, the sheep from the goats, some to receive eternal life, some to endure the punishment of eternal hell. And the difference between these two groups isn't how good they are, isn't how nice they've been, isn't how well they've obeyed even this command not to judge. The difference between these two groups is solely faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ, an acknowledgement that we have made a mess of our lives and, and faith that we can be forgiven in Christ. That's what makes the difference between these two groups. That's the first judgment the Bible speaks of, that eternal dividing line between those who have faith in Jesus and those who don't. The second kind of judgment the Bible speaks of is a judgment that, that comes upon Christians. Not the final judgment, but a judgment that happens in this life. Listen to 1 Corinthians 11. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So here we're being taught that, you know, any good parent would be involved, be active, would engage, would, would, would get, you know, act in their kids' lives if their kids were kind of going off the rails. When kids lie or cheat or steal or do something else they ought not to do, parents discipline them for the welfare of their kids so that they might turn away from that path of destruction and walk in a way that will, will enable them to flourish. Well, the Bible says that God is the perfect loving Father, and he does exactly the same thing with us. That he acts, he gets involved, he takes the initiative in our lives, and this gives us this kind of tender discipline to keep us on the right tracks to act for our own flourishing. God has this tender act of loving discipline for the welfare of his children. So, 
every Christian is going to face these, at least these two types of judgment, an eternal judgment, heaven and hell, and a temporal judgment to keep us on the right track here in life. And so Jesus comes to us and he says, hey, don't judge other people. Why? Because you aren't the ones who will be doing the judgment. You're the ones who are going to be subject to judgment. Like, you might think you sit on the bench, but you're actually in the stand. And, and before you judge other people, you need to remember that, that you are the one who faces judgment. You see how this reality, this reality that we ourselves are subject to judgment, really changes how we might start to judge other people. So a couple of years ago, um, I come to my kids right, like right in the act of doing something they weren't meant to do, okay? They'd come up with some evil plan. They had worked it all out. They began to execute it. And as soon as they did, I walked in the room, right? And I said to one of them, hey, what do you think I should do with the other one? Right? Not a fun parenting moment, right? And he said, you should forgive him. (laughs) (laughs) What an evil genius, right? He answered as a man who knew he was about to face judgment, and so he said, you should, you should forgive him. Well, do you feel the weight of this for us in a much more significant, even eternal way? Jesus says to us that we're no, in no position to judge, that when we're tempted to judge others, we should remember that we too will soon face judgment. And does this not just deflate your judgmental balloon? Does this just not change your heart toward how you want to think about other people? Like, how do I want Jesus to judge me? You know, when I stand before Jesus, I'm not crying out for justice. I'm crying out for mercy. And that's the spirit I want to have as I, as I approach others in my life as well. The gospel would make us a people who lean toward mercy for others. Okay, what are we to do? Judge not. Why? Because we ourselves will be judged. Okay, how, how do we pursue change? How do we start to live a different life? How can we be a community that isn't in the least bit judgmental and is in fact known for being a welcoming, winsome community of grace and truth? Let's look at verses 3 through 5. Jesus uses a a carpenter's illustration and says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Okay, verse 5. Two things we need to do in order to pursue change. First, take the log out of our own eyes. Second, help others see the speck in theirs. You don't want to be judgmental. You want to have a winsome presence in this world. Do these two things. First, Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye. There's a sense in which, of course, these words are a challenge to us. I'll never forget a a pastor growing up as a kid who used to say, um, remember, when you point a, a finger at someone, there are three fingers pointing back. Just getting into this idea that, hey, before you start condemning other people, like deal with your own mess first. That's what Jesus is, is calling us to do. Deal with our, our own mess first. Start by working on your own hearts. Refuse to be a hypocrite. We don't want to be a bunch of hypocrites. And so before we go starting accusing other people or confronting other people, we take the time to see how we have contributed to to the mess, how we have responded to this mess, perhaps in sinful or challenging ways. We deal with our own mess first. We don't want to be a people who are hypocrites. We begin by doing a work, a gospel work in our own hearts. Now, of course, there's a challenge to that. Jesus would say, don't be a hypocrite. But do you not see in these words, there's also a really beautiful invitation 
It's so tempting always to read Jesus' words as if they're rebuke and forget that they're always good news. And that even within his rebukes, there, there's good news. And isn't there good news in this word too? Take your lo- the log out of your own eye. Don't be judgmental. Take the log out of your, of your eye. Uh, Jesus is saying, like, what a beautiful invitation. Do you realize you've been staggering around half blind because of your judgment, because of how you've condemned others, because of the bitterness that has grown up in your life, because of the way you've compared yourself, because of the envy that's welled up in your heart. You've been staggering around half blind, and you don't need to live that way anymore. You don't need to live that way anymore. All the judgment that was ever due humanity has fallen upon, upon me. And I've paid for it in full. And so you are now free not to go around like some sort of judgment police, but to go around and live in the freedom of grace, in the freedom of joyful obedience, where your thought space isn't consumed with, you know, you know, angry thoughts about everyone else. Have you, have you ever met a happy judgmental person? Jesus is saying, you don't have to live that way anymore. Take, take that log, take that log out of your eye. Then after you've done so, after you've done that internal work of the gospel, second step, help others with the speck that's in theirs. Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't say, hey, judge not, so take the log out of your own eye and mind your own business. That's not what he says. He doesn't say that. And that's important to remember because in our very individualistic culture, we kind of have this attitude of you believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe, and we'll just sort of, you know, uh, just let each other do. Uh, can you imagine? Can you imagine Jesus had dealt that way with us? Like you do you, I'll do me. Jesus says, like we would be doing us on the way to hell, right? Because Jesus loves us, He's not content for that sort of you know superficially good, positive sounding thought. No, He He does take the initiative. He does get involved in our lives, and He does He does challenge us, and He does call us to something better. He does invite us to see where we're a mess in order that we might receive healing and flourishing. Okay, here's an example. A couple years ago, um, I get up in the morning and I jump in the shower and I throw my contacts in and I brush my teeth and I stumble downstairs and for whatever reason, I'm just not feeling right. Just not feeling, feeling great that morning. So have a cup of coffee and still not feeling awesome. Jump in the car, drive to work and everything's just feeling a little fuzzy, right? Just feel a little kind of, kind of fuzzy. Uh, start, start work on my computer and it's just, you know, I don't know. It just feels, feels off. Then uh, around about 10 o'clock, I get a phone call from Rosie, my wife, right? So I look at the phone. Oh. Pick it up. Hey, baby. And she says, like, church version of what she says, hello, my intellectually challenged husband, right? Do you know you put my contact lenses in this morning? (laughs) Right? Ah, no, I don't know that, but it makes so much sense of everything I'm experiencing, right? Um, I've been stumbling around like, like a madman today, because I, because I've made this like stupid mistake. Now, did I say to her that is like so offensive of you to highlight what's wrong with me? I'm really like, I'm really offended that you would, that you would speak to me that way. No, I, th- I thanked her for pointing out what I needed to know, so that I could take those stupid contacts out and put a new pair in, right? And. And that's the picture that Jesus would give us for how Christians are to live this life together. Do you know, like, I need my wife to do that for my contacts, but do you know, I need my good friends to do that for me in my life. I need friends who are going to speak into my life when they see that I'm beginning to, like, just get a little off. If they think there's something weird in my marriage, I, I've got good friends who, who are going to tell me that. 
If they think I'm not spending enough time at home with my kids, I've got good friends who, who, who call me out on that. When they see that something isn't quite right, they step up and they tell me about it. Why? Because they don't want me to be the one who wanders away. And, and listen, do you know what? I do dumb things with, with contacts and I do stupid things in life. And half the time, I'm blind to my own stupidity. I need other people to keep me on the path of life. And do you know what? You do too. You do too. We all need other people to keep us on this path of life. People who know us, people who know what's going on with us, people who are going to speak into our situations. And when they do, we receive it gladly and we welcome it because we know that they only have our best interests at heart. We move, it's this, it's this gospel vision of living in a kind of authentic, vulnerable, tenacious community where we refuse to let any of our friends be the one who wanders off. Jesus says, yeah, do the gospel work the internal work of dealing with your own mess, but then do that external work. Allow that gospel dynamic from within your own heart to move you outwards, to reach out to your, your, your Christian brothers and sisters to help them as well. This is why as a church, we make such a song and dance of community groups. Because we believe the church can't fulfill all of its functions in its hour of worship. It fulfills some of its functions in this, this time. But it, it can't fulfill the call to community or the call, the call to mission. For tonight's purposes, it can't fulfill the call, call to community. It, it can't be the, the, the forum in which we, we really spend that time together and call each other out and keep each other on the path of life. And so that's why we want all of our people to be part, part of a group, part of a cohort of other brothers and sisters who are going to do that work with you so that together we'll, we won't make shipwright of our faith. We'll make it to the end. Okay, what does Jesus call us to do? Judge not. Why does he call us to that? Because we ourselves will be face judgment. How can we pursue change, internal work of the gospel in our own hearts, taking the log out of our own eyes, then moving to help others with the speck that's in theirs? Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we recognize that, that Christ has dealt with our judgment problem because he has taken the punishment our sins deserve upon himself on the cross. And now this same Jesus calls us to live a new life, a life that is characterized not by a judgmental attitude, not by a condemning spirit, but that we might really be salt and light in this world, a winsome and productive presence that does our culture good. And Lord, you've shown us how we can do that. First, by being ruthless with our own sin, taking the logs out of our, our own eyes, doing that gospel work so that we wouldn't be hypocrites, responding to that beautiful invitation to no longer stagger around half-blinded by our brokenness, but to receive healing by your grace. And having done that, Lord, to, to move to help others with the, the specks that are in their eyes. Father, would we be this kind of community that is, is feisty for the welfare of each other? that is prepared to go after uh, the one who wanders away, that uh, doesn't let their friends wander around wearing the wrong contact lenses. Lord, we pray these things uh, all in Jesus' name, trusting and resting. Amen.